November 1841. With this letter, you will find a packet of paper sealed up. Do not open it so long as your mother remains untroubled. Should unexplained noises or other unnatural occurrences begin around her, or if she begins to have fits or fainting spells, then you, and you alone, must open this envelope and study its contents. At that point, you will need to enlist the help of others. Whether you choose to share the contents with your mother before securing that help, I leave to your judgment. Know that I love you and your mother as I do life itself, and that wherever my immortal spirit resides, I shall be praying for your happiness. He's talking and I'm not, and I'm just... <sighs> <laughs> And then I'm talking. <laughs> no, but wait, wait! I have something for him. Boom! You get shot down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales podcast. Concentrating on the news. Shit's what we do. Wow! <laughs> FY, there's nothing wrong Alright, welcome everybody to another episode of the Weird History Eerie Tales Podcast. I am your host, Moses Soria. With me to my left, my brother Josh. What's cracking, baby? Damn! And with me to my right is Archie. Ooh. Oh my gosh. And yes, it is October. Finally. Spooky season. It's our season. And we decided, if it's spooky season, might as well have a fucking spooky-ass series. Which is why we're doing an old American haunting tale. America. 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 Bald eagles and crows. No, ah! no, this is more like like Indian graveyards and like Hopefully. fucking like railroads and like old forests. 1800s. Ah. America. And I'm talking about we're the Bell Witch. One of America's oldest hauntings. So the Bell Witch was a poltergeist that haunted and tormented the Bell family for the better part of four years. Years from 1817 through 1821. And for this series, we will heavily rely on Brent Monahan's The Bell Witch and American Haunting. His book is a manuscript written by Richard Powell, who married into the Bell family after this haunting. So, a few things, you know, a few things before we start. One, this is going to be a multi part series, but I promise it won't be as long or as boring as the Gilda Ray series. So please, please, please give it a chance. Well, hold on. Did people say that? I'm assuming since, like, no one, no one listened to those <laughs> fucking, fucking episodes. God damn it. Uh, uh, how do you feel? All that hard work. Horrible. Those are my, those are my favorite <laughs> ones we've fucking done. Uh, I'm so proud of those, and those have the least fucking... Atlantis has... Man. <laughs> yeah, let's stop... Yeah, let's not. Yeah, watch our listeners are like, "Hey, we're we're waiting for that re- Atlantis remake." Oh, they're gonna keep waiting. <laughs> so, <laughs> comment on our next picture. Do you want an Atlantis remake? Let us know. That'll be the last episode we do. 
it won't be a long series, and it won't be as boring. Number two, the manuscript was written in first person. So for the sake of this series, we're going to change it to third person for an easier listening experience. And I'm only saying this in case you guys go out and read the book yourselves. You're like, wait, this reads a little different. The whole book is in the words of Richard. Pow. Pow. And three, you are about to listen to how Richard Powell, a learned man in the age of enlightenment, was perfectly positioned to be the chronicler of this horrific incident. Not as a husband of the cursed Betsy Bell, at least not yet, but as the family friend. Hmm. Number four, he decided to write this manuscript 13 years into his marriage when he suffered a massive stroke. Fearing the end might be near for him, he wrote the manuscript as a way to help his wife in case the hauntings happened to her again after he was gone. And five, that intro you heard was actually a letter written by Richard Powell to his daughter, the intended eyes of this manuscript. Because remember, this, whatever, what you guys are about to listen to was not supposed to be read by anybody else. It was only supposed to be for his daughter's eyes her secret. only. Mm-hmm. And lastly, but definitely not least, turn off your lights, grab your coffees, teas, or liquor of your choice. Light your candles and enjoy the show. So the manuscript begins with Richard Powell letting his daughter know about how the Bell Witch she'd been hearing about since she was seven years old. That same story that he and his wife would assure her was nothing but a scary story told by neighbors was actually true. And here he goes on to tell her. Let me begin with the most important event in the shaping of this sad and shocking story. The invisible creature that haunted your mother and the rest of the Bell family was originally called by people in the Red River, quote-unquote, Kate Bat's Witch, or simply, Old Kate. So off the bat, he immediately mentions who was the cause of this curse, Mrs. Bat's. So Mrs. Bat's, or Kate Bat's, she was no taller than, you know, that most women around, but was certainly of greater girth, to <clears throat> quote Richard. Oh, he said girthy? He's I love him girthy. And he, goes, and he goes on to describe her. The flesh of her upper arms was as thick as a young man's thighs. She also possessed enormous quantities of bright red hair and freckles. She a ginger. She's a ginger. She's a gi- she a thick ginger. She's thick. She's thick. He even said thick. He didn't. There's like seven C's up in that bitch. But it, <laughs> but it, but it, but it wasn't the way she looked that scared the town folks. It was actually her behavior. She was a rather rude and large lady that wouldn't hold back what she had on her mind about anybody and everybody. But she wasn't always like this. Many around town say that she became this way. After her husband became crippled working on a tree that crushed his legs. This put more pressure on Kate. And having to shoulder all the work around the farm as well as being the head of household. You know, that would change anybody. But a few people insisted that she was always weird. And a little crazy. It had been ordained by the heavens that she would ordain herself and marry into the name 
bats. They were making fun of her. They're like, this lady is so batshit crazy. Her, she would marry into a family that's called bats. Because that's how crazy she is. She's batshit crazy. So that's where it came from. Josh, you're batshit crazy. How about you suck my dick? But many agree, Too much? at the my very bad. least, that she was a very odd woman. And the examples of this was that she would push her sons, Jack and Calvin, who many around town called them Jack and the Beanstalk, onto the single ladies of Red River, always trying to marry her sons off. But I think she did more harm than good in this department because she would say weird things. And like this is one of the things she would say about Jack. You never mind that his right eye wanders a bit. It's wandering to spy business opportunities, not loose women. So this he had a wonky eye. And she's like, no, 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 no. That wonky eye is just because he's out looking for business opportunities. He's not looking for anything else. She's optimistic. Yeah, he's like, like Right? And wow. Many thought of Kate Batts as nothing more than that older, weird lady always working on the farm. There were a few people who thought Kate was a witch. Even before the whole Bell Witch incident. And this was for a number, albeit superstitious, reasons. The first reason was because she never rolled the perfectly good horse she owned. People claim that horses will not listen to witches and not let them get on their back, making the witch travel by broomstick. The second reason came from her always paying a visit to all the farms around the area. She was always buying up the extra supplies of wool, cotton, and flat seed from the other wives to keep her Negro women busy. Okay. So, quick disclaimer. This manuscript was written, was written in the 1800s. You guys can't see this, but my brother's looking at me very angrily because I made him say <clears throat> Negro women <laughs> And give the disclaimer after. Ah. All right. So, you know, this manuscript, it was written in the mid-1800s. You said that, right? You said it? No. So there are going to be some problematic statements made by Mr. Richard. Aside from some slurs, there will also be some creepy child bride talk. So just a little heads up. I will try my best to try and clean it up. But at the same time, I don't want you guys going off and buying the books and think you're reading some sort of alt-right ghost story. Okay, so now that you've been warned, Josh, you may continue. But while she was out shopping, she was also gossiping her day away while also begging for pins and needles. Most of the town folks saw this as Kate being a penny pincher and trying to cut corners and save as much money as she possibly can. But you can't fool the old wives who knew that witches begged for pins and needles for their power because a pin... That was freely and willingly given to a witch could later be stuck into a carved or sewn rag doll and sued to torment the donor's flesh. I love all these old timey like she's a witch because she's doing this. She's a witch. Ask for a pen. She's a witch because she never got on her fucking horse. You know, but like you can't that, get on your horse. But, but that's the kind of re- that's the kind of reputation she had around Red River. She was yeah. this this old brood, like taking no shit from nobody, hardworking woman who some old ladies thought like, oh, this she's a fucking witch. She's different. But it, why she's a witch? But it wasn't until a confrontation on May in eighteen eighteen 
that was Kate Batts' undoing in the community. You know, so Kate was your proud, God-fearing Christian and never missed a Sunday Mass at the Red River Baptist Church. She was the loudest singer and the most vocal in the amens. You know, when the priest says something and you're supposed to say amen, she was the loudest one in the fucking room. When I go to church, I know that guy. Oh, there's a dude in your church? She's like, it was like, amen. He's like, amen! And Damn, then, bro. I don't know if you're angry or blessed. He's angry because he's not blessed. Oh, mm. And the leader of this church was Reverend Thomas Feltz. And during these days, not even one in 10 settlers in Tennessee took membership in a church. Since almost everyone who came west did so to find land and not God. But it was by these standards that Red River was among the most church-going communities. Reverend Felt had started a week-long sermon, starting Monday and ending the following Friday. So by Wednesday... The reverend had everyone on edge and scared with his depictions of hell's eternal damnation. And amongst the crowd was a relentless man named Joe Edwards, who jumped up to proclaim his repentance. Many in attendance, you know, they got up and they assisted Reverend Feltz in claiming Mr. Edwards' soul for Jesus Christ. There were chants of hallelujahs and a lot of laying on their hands, when all of a sudden, Mr. Edwards fell on all fours, grabbed the bench near the reverend, and started howling. It was in this exact moment that Kate Batts made her way into the church. You know how earlier I mentioned that she never missed a Sunday Mass? Uh, well, I never said she was always on time. She just never missed it. Sometimes she'd come in toward the end, toward the middle, but she was always there. Mm-hmm. And it was at this time where she walked in when Mr. Edwards was on the floor howling, asking for God's forgiveness. And she walked in being led by her maid, Phyllis, and flanked by two of her black boys. So she rushed over to Mr. Edwards, threw her skirt over his head, and plopped on top of him. She fucking plopped him. Plopped. She teabagged She just jumped on his back because he's on his back oh. praying. She just ran and just threw herself on him, Bloop. turning his howling into whimpering almost immediately because mr edwards the way they described him he was like this tall lanky fellow yeah. he's on all fours and she just ran and just hopped on him now she got hop she, she what plopped on she him plopped. She plopped. i like that word he's plopped. like yeah, we, yeah 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 so the entire room stopped everyone stopped praying while kate continued <laughs> to pray out loud while Mr. Edwards was so shocked at what just had happened that he actually thought he was being fucking possessed. And these are his exact words. Lord, the devil himself has claimed me. Sweet Jesus, lift Satan off of me or I will surely sink down to the internal torment. <laughs> he literally thought he was he literally thought he was being dragged to hell. He just didn't know there was this big-ass lady on top of him. So after a few more seconds, Mr. Powell, who's you know our narrator, he actually got up from his seat and moved directly behind Mrs. Bats. He tapped her on the shoulder and told her, hey, you know, maybe you'd be able to help Mr. Edwards better from a bench and not on his back. But this is what she replied with. No, thank you, Professor Powell. This altitude is so consoling to my disposition that I feel 
amply corrugated. All right, so I would have been now, nah, bitch. You can't leave the man. So, so Kate. <laughs> He's turning purple, but <laughs> so Kate had this annoying habit of always trying to sound smart by using big words that she was obviously misusing, hmm. which you could tell by this altitude. Lady, you're like two feet off the ground. What do you mean this altitude and corrugated? Like, Hold come on. on. How big is she? Because I'm going to hit you with the no. <laughs> but while they were <laughs> arguing, no. But while, so while they were arguing, the reverend then intervened and told Mrs. Batts that Mr. Edwards was fucking suffocating. Yes, indeed. Let him suffocate. I am helping him get closer to the Lord. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Okay, so at this point, it was easy to see how hilarious this was starting to get. And our narrator was one of the few that got Mrs. Bats off Mr. Edwards. The reverend then kicked out the few people that didn't step out laughing. And then he ended mass. When suddenly, one man stepped up to Mrs. Bats with an angry face and said, It's not enough that you belittle worship of the Almighty by your constant lateness, woman. Must you also make a mockery of man's awakening to the light? So the few, you know, so the few still making their way out of the church turned to see Grandfather Bell being the man that was belittling Mrs. Betts. You dare to exculpate me, John Bell? So Kate gets up and gets into the Elder Bell's face. Oh shit! Oh shit! Take this. Take the log from your own eye, sinner, that ye shall be clearer to remove the mole from mine. If this meeting had been convenience at Red River Church, you wouldn't even be welcome to attend. No, this was actually a big insult to him. He understood that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fuck. You understood it. Because this is the thing. So when she, so basically, basically she was saying like, look, man, you wouldn't be talking all this shit if we were back at the Red River Church. And everyone who was still in the church went like, ooh, instigators. Mm. Because the room gasped mm. collectively. What, what, would, collectively. What, if, what, what would 1800s instigators sound like? The same. Yeah. So, ooh. Petty has always been the same petty. There's no, you going to take that shit, bitch? <laughs> That's what they said. Just, you know, in the foreign background, you know? <laughs> so, the room, so the room gasped collectively at the reminder of John Bell's expulsion from the Red River Baptist Church. Mm. The grandfather bell, he was kicked out of the old church. And this is why. The bells and the bats, they owned the lands right next to each other. And after Mrs. Bat's husband was crippled, John Bell offered a sum of money for some of the empty land next to his. And the reason for this was a selfless one. He figured since Frederick, her husband, will no longer be able to walk, the bats would benefit more from cash than spare land considering their predicament so he was like look your husband's crippled you have all this land you have to tend to sell it to me i'll give you i'll give you cash and i'll give you some help so the agreement for this purchase was that mr bell would also sell the bats a male slave to help perform Frederick physical duties and also to make a loan of cash he was like look i'll just give you some money and i'll give you some help and she was like no, you give me you give me the money, you give me a slave, and you loan me money whenever I need to. What? And he disagreed. And they went to court. 
Mm. Mm. She told him. She told him. She told him this after they had agreed. Because he's like, look, I'll just help you out and I'll give you some money. Cool. Let's do it. And when they were shaking hands, she's like, well, this is the help I want. Money. Money whenever I need to. And a slave. He's like, yo, this is not what the fuck we agreed to. Oh. Oh. And the the court ruled in favor of bats. Mm -hmm. And once the law had passed, Mr. Bell's church elders at at Red Rivers Baptist felt that they had no choice but to expel him. But they made sure to tell him that his expulsion was only from this specific chapel. He was welcomed and would be welcomed with open arms at any different location. All pastors, including the reverend at the Red River Baptist Church, would constantly call him to see how he was doing. But this expulsion was a shame that he would never get over. So that's why when she brought it up, Everyone was like, oh, she did it. Yeah. Misquote the Bible as much as you like, woman. It will make you no less than the lying witch that you are. So this is what he told. This this is what this was his response after she said, like, yo, you wouldn't be talking to me like this if we were at the old church. So Kate, she was leaving the church when John Bell uttered these words to her, (laughs) stopping her dead in her tracks. Which am I? Then let me offer you a witch's malification, old John Bell. You may have your broad acres as well as mine, purchased at the penitence. You may have your big house and your health right now, but just wait and see what sad changes shall soon descend upon you, and more you among the bells. So she stormed out into the night when Richard our narrator, saw his future wife, Betsy Bell, who was 13 years old at the time. How old is he? He's 32. Oh, so it's pretty fucking gross. Fuck. But I warned you guys See that we're going to we be talking about children, child brides. Hmm. So at this point, he spotted his future wife, but at this point, she's just Betsy. And he walked to Betsy and consoled her as she started crying. Pay her no mind, Betsy. She's only an addle-brained woman to be pitied. Pitied. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I mean like, fuck. I think it was a um, you know, type Pause of for dramatic. So then, so then the grandfather, he turned around. And he saw him. He saw Richard talking to his daughter. And John turned around and spoke to Richard. But not amused has she not cursed me enough with her suit. The Lord has surely turned his back upon me. How have I profited from that land? What has it been used for but her sustenance, the good of our children? So, Mr. Bell was right about he not having profited from those lands he received from Mrs. Bats. It was only Richard and his children that really much profited from these lands. And even then, it wasn't like they, it wasn't a monetary gain. They used part of that land to build a to build a two-room log cabin that our narrator, Richard, would double as his home and his classroom as he was at that time the second teacher in Tennessee and Kentucky. Oh, the second teacher. Yeah. So a little more about our narrator. He was born in March of 1788, and he had been told that even though the wilderness of the area wasn't that inviting and kind of harsh, some backwood communities of Nashville was what he could be looking for in terms of continuing his career. 
and he arrived at Nashville on July of 1815. Finding out that amongst those backward communities, Red River was the most religious and the most eager for quote-unquote book learning. So immediately after arriving to Red River, he was interviewed by some of the important locals, with Mr. Bell being amongst them. They immediately hired him, and the logic behind that was that if they wanted Red River to flourish, they wanted everyone involved to be educated participants. So immediately after being hired, John Bell took a liking to Mr. Richard and kind of became like his unofficial champion, lending him land close to the Red River where a school could be erected if things went right, and immediately signed up his daughter Elizabeth, whom everyone called Betsy, to be one of his students. So Mr. Bell even had the whole community help out and erect a large building as a failsafe for other purposes in case the whole teaching thing didn't work out. So to get in Mr. Bell's good graces, Richard used what little spare time he had to clear part of the land for crops, saving the Bell family and their slaves time of felling trees and burning stumps. So he showed up to Red River as kind of like this educated savior. Everyone's like, all right, cool. If you want the Red River to grow, we're going to need smart people. And Mr. Bell, Mr. John Bell, really liked Richard so much. He's like, look, we're going to build you this house. This house is going to double as your house and your home. But in case the school teaching doesn't work out, don't worry about it. We're going to build another building over here for you to do whatever you want. We want to open a store. We want to do whatever. So he really wanted Richard to stay in Red River. He liked him. He's like, dude, if this doesn't work, don't worry. We'll figure something out. And they're giving him everything else. Dang. Everything else he might need. So in the manuscript, this is where we come to learn about Red River, where the Bell Witch hauntings took place. So Richard goes on to say to his daughter, because remember, the manuscript is written for his daughter's eyes only, and only in the emergency that her mother started acting a little funny or started seeing things. That even though it was 12 miles from where she grew up in Springfield, that they were really careful of avoiding bringing her here to Red River because they were afraid of her hearing about the story that he's currently telling her. Friends and family from Red River still visited them, but they knew the deal and never mentioned anything about anything to anyone. So this part, he's talking to his daughter, and he's like, look, remember that little town, Red River? We always avoided going through there because I was afraid if we went there, people were going to start talking. Hey, are you guys okay? Has anything been happening? Is your mom okay? We didn't want, it, it was over. So we thought, why even go bother, bother moving back to Red River? So they moved out. Eventually. They eventually moved out. Okay. Right. And the people that did help them out, they became good friends, but they always visited them in Springfield. Right. And this is, this, and he told her why. Because we didn't want anyone mentioning anything to you or mentioning anything that might bring anything up. So he tells his daughter that her grandfather, John Bell, was born in Halifax, North Carolina in 1750. That growing up, he found an affinity for farming and eventually bought himself a little bit of land for him to tend to. But he had the great fortune to woo and marry a Miss Lucy Williams, who was a daughter of John Williams, who had amassed a considerable fortune. So the when John Williams? John Williams. Star Wars? What do you mean Star Wars? Never mind. You're talking to the... No, no, now you gotta say it. John Williams is the, the um, composer of the music for Star Wars. Oh, you, you wouldn't know that, you fucking nerd. 
And yes, Archie, it's it's fucking John Williams. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. he's 300 years old. 1750. That's fucking John Williams, yep. dude. Yep. Yeah. Time traveling, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to know more about time travel, go ahead and check our previous episode. Jesus. Fuck you. All that for the plug, bitch. All right. So the the wedding ended up taking place in 1782. John Campbell was 30. And Lucy was 12 years old at the time. So at the turn of the century, word was coming back almost monthly from the newly opened Indian territories about large tracts of land for sale and for cheap. So in 1804, John moved his family to Red River, where he purchased about a thousand acres. When he arrived, a one and a half story house had already existed on the land. So John immediately started raising his pigs, cows, chickens, and fields of corn and dark tobacco. And and everything was great for like the first 12 years. The farm was more successful than even John Bell had hoped. He was a respected farmer, a businessman in his community, and an elder in his church. And in 1816, the Bell family was John Bell. It was Lucy, his wife, and his seven children, Jesse, John Jr., Drury, Esther, Elizabeth, Richard Williams, and Joel Egbert. They did have an eighth child, but he died six years before. So the Bell family also owned eight slaves. John was 66 years old at this time, but was in good shape. And it was around this time that the bells began to call our family's troubles begin. The first involved a black beast with a huge head that John spotted sitting at the far end of one of his cornfields. At first, he thought that it was a very large dog that had wandered onto the area, but while he and the beast continued to stare at one another, with neither of them moving, he soon realized that it was not a dog, rather some wild creature. John took careful aim at the beast and fired. When the smoke cleared, he found it had disappeared. He reloaded and, and marched to the end of the field, but there was no mark of blood nor any sign of the animal. A few weeks later, John spotted a gigantic bird on the farm, larger than a turkey, but the creature was able to fly away before John could get a shot. Around the same time, Betsy was walking along the edge of the Bell Woods, taking care of her younger brothers, when all three of them spotted a girl about Betsy's age, hanging from a low branch of an oak tree swinging back and forth. When Betsy called to her, the girl made no reply. As soon as he got a little closer, the girl in green vanished. Betsy told the mammy among the family's slaves and was told that they had seen a witch, as green was the color of the devil's hag. This is when she started. This is this is when the creepiness started with this big ass dog and the 
And like the way they describe it when he first met that dog was John at this point most of Red River was already being like there was already a community being built. There were houses. Yeah. It, it wasn't a city, but there was still been you know small town. Small town. So most community. so most of the wild animals weren't in that city anymore. Like in Red River. They were always on the outskirts. Yeah. But because John Bell was there from the beginning, he was always used to always having his rifle with him. So it was never weird to see him walking in and out of his right with his rifle because he was just used to it he'd been there since the beginning so he knew when he first built that house there was to wild build the, animals so he had yeah. to shoot him yeah. so when he saw this dog it was a quick one two he just spotted aimed shot and it was a direct hit and he walked there was no trace of the dog same thing with that bird when he saw that bird the bird was actually flying big as turkey too but it was flying that's the thing that yeah. freaked him out so by the time he cocked his gun poof it had vanished it was a uh, ho-ho bro it was ho-ho it's ho-ho it's like the fucking. What was that episode? First where episode. Ash, it was episode, episode one, right? Episode one. Episode one. <sighs> fucking the preview to second gen, dude. Could have a master. That was, that's a good ass Easter egg because that was the legendary for silver, gold, gold. Well, silver no, was, silver. Yeah, silver. Hey, and silver was, was fucking little, second yeah, gen. Whatever. Yeah, second gen. They actually made a movie that takes place after that scene, so it's that time frame. What movie? It's on Netflix, uh, Pokemon uh, Year One or some shit. It, so they fast forward uh, some of the uh, scenes in that first episode. Uh-huh. And then you see Ash looking up and it's Ho-Ho. And then it's the journey to find Ho-Ho and shit. But they mix, I think, uh, the fourth and fifth gen into it. It's oh, like a okay. mixture. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But anywho, carry on. So all of, the, all of these things happen in the span of a few weeks. Starting in September... And ending in October 1817. And it was in the dead of winter when the unnatural left the woods and started fucking with the bell home itself. At first, it was just knocking on the outer walls, on the outer walls, on the clothes, the shutters, and against the thick wood of the back doors. Each time John would investigate, he would find nothing. His guess was. His guess was that it was Kate Batts having one of her slaves mess with them. This was around the time when they were beefing in court over the land and like they were going to trial. So he was like, oh, it's fucking Kate. She's just fucking with us. The noises would start around 10 at night and end around midnight. And it was shortly after during the school, during school hours that our narrator Richard started to notice something was off at the Bell's house. During the first two years of him teaching there, his future wife, but currently his student, she was really eager and energetic when it came to her studies. But for weeks now, she began arriving with dark circles around her eyes. After being asked what was the matter, she just responded with that their house was making weird noises that prevented anyone from sleeping. So soon after, John Bell called together his closest friends, Reverend Fort, Jane Johnston, and Richard himself, to ride with him several miles to the home of Mr. James Burns, who was his lawyer that was defending him against Kate Batts. And it was during this ride that Richard decided was his best chance of trying to get to the bottom of what was ailing the Bell family. So as the Rev and Mr. Johnson were riding ahead, Richard asked John what was up, and John immediately asked him, how much do you know, and what exactly did Betsy say? With Richard just repeating what Betsy had told him. It was just noises the house was making. John assured Richard that it was just a matter of time until he and the boys would find the source of the noise. 
whether it was loose boards being disturbed by the wind or squirrels nesting in the walls, and eventually it would just bring quiet back to the house. So after arriving to the Burns house, they began to debate what was the best way to defeat Kate and defend John. John, however, who should have had the most to say, was weirdly quiet. He was just sitting down. And then when it came time to eat, he stayed sitting down in the common room. After he was invited not once, but twice to join them for dinner, he just looked at them, smiled, and nodded a, no thank you. And almost immediately after eating, they said their farewells to the Burns and left. John rode next to Richard again, and after a little while, he asked what they had talked about during the dinner. While Richard was telling him what they had said, John was grabbing his jaw and massaging it, as if he had just gotten hit. I was unable to help myself even before we entered the house. I began to have a strange feeling inside my mouth. It was as if a fungus was suddenly growing along both sides of my tongue, so thick that it pressed up against my teeth and jaws. It wasn't my imagination. It actually filled my mouth so much that I could hardly speak. I certainly would not have been able to eat. It felt, I felt it was less impolite to decline the invitation to dinner entirely than to sit at the table and not eat their food. So at this time, Richard had no idea that the cause of John's ailments had nothing to do with the lawsuit, but with the noises of his house. And for a long while, that's all he and everyone else outside of the Bell family knew of this quote-unquote haunting, which was going to get much, much worse. So according to Betsy, shit started to hit the fan on a Saturday night in May. And it wasn't until Richard was writing this manuscript that he realized that this Sunday, this specific Sunday, was the Sunday following the huge argument that Kate and John had in the church the previous Wednesday. When she had cursed, when she had initially cursed them. So this time the noises that were only outside sounded as if a rat had gone into Richard and Joel's room, the two children. I was gnawing on the bed's footpost. They were awakened by the noises and cried out. Immediately the two older brothers, John Jr. and Drury, opened the door and the noises stopped. They looked around for a bit, and after finding nothing, they just went back to bed. But the noises immediately returned as soon as the room door closed. So after a back and forth, the boys just said, fuck it. And they decided to tell their room part to find the source of this noise. They're like, we gotta find this fucking rat. But they found nothing. When the candles were lit, the noises were absent. But as soon as it got dark, the noises immediately returned eventually stopping around 3 in the morning. A lot later than the usual midnight, the noises had previously stopped. So at the end of that week, again on a Sunday, the noises moved into Elizabeth's room. Again, no source of noise could be found. Eventually, the spirit started getting bolder and stronger. Now, bed covers began to slip slowly off the feet of the children's bed. Hell no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm running from that shit, bro. Now the noises took on an animal-like quality. 
The children heard the smacking of lips and muffled throaty sounds like someone was choking or strangling. That's gagging, dude. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And then came noises of stones being dropped on the roof, of ducks flapping noisily out of a body of water, of a storm raging outside, of large dogs fighting in the yard. Traces of chains being dragged across wooden floors. Okay, okay. And furniture being moved. But but imagine it's in the middle, dead of night. Your your covers just get snatched from you, and you start hearing all these fucking noises. I'll be so mad, man. Bitch, I'm cold. And as the year went, fuck my sister. The spirit, creature, or whatever you want to call it. Started getting stronger. Oh shit! What had just been gentle but insistent tugs on the bed sheets eventually turned into legit, furious strippings of the bed sheets. Even Jewelry and John Jr. lost that haunting tug of war every night. With both of them gripping the bed sheets as hard as they could. The two little Every kids night. were gripping the fucking sheets. <laughs> My sheep, bitch. They were like, no. I like how they didn't question. They're pull, just like. Pull, true pull. <laughs> Every night. It's like, ah, oh, shit. Night. Here we go again. <laughs> Imagine how buff they got. I doubt it. It's bed sheets. No, I mean, but it's just the, it's the yeah, true. Yeah. He's flexing. Every I'm night. Bad as fuck. Every, imagine every night you just stay flexed. You were sleep flexed. <laughs> then, then, in an October night in 1818, after a rare night where the spirit didn't bother them with his usual ruckus. No shit. Betsy woke up from her sleeping by the twisting of her hair. Scared and panicked, she thought that maybe if she didn't move, the thing would go away. Wrong! Wrong. The thing started dragging her by her hair out of her fucking room. She began screaming for help when she realized that her brother, Richard, was also screaming. The fucking spirit was able to attack different people in different rooms at the same time. At the same time? At the same damn time. It was this attack on their multiple children that the Bell family finally realized that what they were dealing with were not mischievous slaves, but a, and I quote, waxing malevolence of a supernatural spirit. So they decided they couldn't do it alone anymore. And they decided to enlist the help of at least one other Christian family. The Johnston clan were among the first settlers in the Red River area and of a noble breed. Chief among John Bell's friends was James Johnston, who was about 10 years John's junior. He and his wife, Rebecca Porter Johnston, and their group of children were the Bell's family's closest neighbors, owning the property to just to the east of them. So on November 5th, John took Mr. and Mrs. Johnson to swearing them to be absolutely quiet about what he was about to tell them. Soon after, the couple decided they would help and came over to spend the night. 
They ate supper. And after James, being a very religious man, took out his Bible and everyone meet in the living room. Everyone except for the two youngest boys because they thought this whole thing would just freak them out and they just needed they just didn't need any of that. So Mr. Johnston began reading from his Bible. He read from the first chapter of Mark, where Jesus encounters a man possessed of an unclean spirit that spoke to him. And Jesus answered, Be silent and come out of him. The spirit gave a loud cry and departed. James then suggested the group of them, the Johnston and the Bell family, to try the same thing. They all joined hands, prayed the Lord's Prayer, and then said together, Demon, Demon in, in the, the name, name of Jesus Christ, Christ be, be silent, silent and go, go out, out to the this. house. <laughs> <laughs> go out of this house. Let's try it again. Okay, ready? Ready? One, two, three. Demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, be silent and go out of this house forever. They did this three times. Demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, be silent and go out of this house forever. Demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, be silent and go out of this house forever. Demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, be silent and go out of this house forever. Count! He said three times. Well, I th- it was the first one I initially did, three, and then these three, two, and three more three. times. Three more. I mean, you could just snip and just play that. Yeah, I'm just, okay. All right, cool. Cool. Uh, snip, snip. We're gonna just send it once. Fuck. <laughs> Let it repeat. God damn. Watch our listeners be like, man, that that's so in sync. Yeah. Did exactly the same. I got options. I got options. Yeah. More A lot of editing. editing. Yeah. <laughs> so soon after, everyone went to bed with Mr. Johnston and his wife Rebecca. Staying in the bedroom upstairs closest to Betsy's. And it wasn't long until they heard the noises and the covers were ripped from their beds. These fuckers love their covers. Are they colder? (laughs) But remember, the Johnstons, they had never experienced any of this. They weren't fortunate to have built up a quote-unquote tolerance, you know, for the lack of a better word, for what the demons did. Yes, the Bell family was scared, but up to that point, it was just annoying noises <laughs> and their beds being slowly tucked to them, just being yanked. So remember, they started hearing it from the very beginning. Where it started with just knocks, yeah, and then they started hearing the noises and the scratching. They got what? What's that word? They got like they got, used, like fluffed, or I forget what you call it. I don't know. Whoa, 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 bro, that's a different genre, dude. But remember, the Johnsons, they didn't get it. They When they, when they stepped in, their, sh- their bed sheets got yanked and started hearing all these noises. They were freaked the fuck out. Immediately, the covers were turned off of them. The nine of their bedposts were increasingly getting louder. The thumping on the roof had also started. Same with the wailing of dogs and cats. The sounds of furniture moving, chains, dragging, the whole shebang. It took everything in them to not just get the fuck out of there and go home. Mr. Johnston, he lit a candle and then everything was fine. Nothing was out of place. And the noises stopped. But as soon as the light was off and they laid in silence, the spirit was back. I'll be mad as fuck. Midnight struck. And the sounds of labor swallowing and the smacking of lips began. What I, 
What I was envisioning was no, was that annoying like the you know when you suck it to like But this interestingly led to Mr. Johnston concluding that this spirit thing or whatever must have human qualities and per- perhaps possessed human understanding. So he decided to try something. In the name of Jesus Christ, who or what are you? What is it that you want? Nothing happened. The sound stopped as if the Lord's name had scattered the demons away. But Johnston's went to bed, and when they were drifting asleep, their room horridly shook with an evil laugh echoing, making them stand straight up in the pinch back. Their bed was flipped, and like a whirlwind, the demon went room to room, whipping the covers off of everyone. What is wrong with this demon and covers? Exposing everyone in the house to the night's cold. (laughs) Give me your sheet! (laughs) No sheet for you! No sheet for you! Is Is this demon related to Devo? He partly but he, died he, off he, of a sheet. And but he's he likes, like, I hate sheets. He likes sheets. My grandma would give me that sheet. <laughs> but you know, but look, like, it, like, that's. I'll be mad. But, but would you be mad or would you be scared of the whole time? At this would, point, but, I'll be mad. But this is the first time when they, when they did it, the thing was snarling the whole time. Yeah. You hear the. And you're just snatching and you're fucking in the dark. A bark bat. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'll probably shut myself. This is my sheet. Uh, bro, I'll challenge him 1v1, dude. His host. Let's go. Let's bro, go. House rules. Yeah. I, I can't even. I'm going to set out a deck. Deck of Yugi's. I can't even imagine what the fuck I, I do. Dude, I sometimes get freaked out when I leave a bunch of clothes on the chair and I wake up in the middle of the night. Like, oh, shit. And the and the and my fucking pile of clothes looks like a person. And I freak out for a minute and I freeze. And then I, I my eyes adjust to the dark. And I'm like, oh, wait. It's just my clothes. That's why I hate that my closet doors are mirrors. Because mm. every time I look, I always feel like. Someone's Someone gonna be looking at me or some shit. And it's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Ah, uh, I know I'm scared. Like, yep, you're not wrong. So after going from room to room, <laughs> I take out my old sheets. So after going from room to room <laughs> and whipping the covers off of everyone, it stopped in Betsy's room and immediately started again with a tugging match, using her hair as the rope. So it was pulling her, and she was pulling back. Everyone takes her sheets, and the demon's like, let me fuck with this girl's hair. And just as everyone rushed to her room with their candles, everyone, everyone heard, everyone heard the clear sound of hand-smacking flesh with Betsy's face snapping to the side from an invisible blow. So as she's trying to fight it, everyone just heard a slap and her face turned. The thing was slapping her. Her jaw dropping in surprise. With everyone expecting to see Betsy bursting into tears. They were all surprised to see her sucking it up. And not give the thing the satisfaction. But the thing was like, oh, is that right? And immediately gave her a six-piece combo. Combo breaker. Combo breaker. 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 It just slapped her six times back to back. Just. It's like that double slap 
that when, leads it to like six slaps. But when it's a critical hit. That was the, the intro of fucking Tudor Cinema Club? Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yep, 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 yep. But <laughs> six of them. <laughs> so, it, so it slapped her six times, making her face glow red from the blows. But she refused to shed a tear, although she couldn't resist not crying out in pain as she was then physically dragged out of the room by the hair of her crown. Seize this at once. Betsy's head lightly hit the floor as the thing let go of her. Mr. Johnson then turned around to the bells and suggested that the thing might understand the meaning of words after all. Just then, the invisible spirit began panting and making its choking noises. James helped Betsy up from the floors and wrapped his arms around her. You must abandon your pack to keep this evil habitation a secret and call upon the help of your Christian neighbors. Surely the thoughts of prayers of a communion of Christians is surely more than enough for this spirit. So Mr. Bell agreed. He's like, fuck it. it, it we need more help. Call it all. It only took for his, it only took for his daughter to get slapped around. <laughs> Six hit combo, bro. So on November 6th. She still didn't cry. No. Yeah. Still, she didn't. She didn't cry. She will not give this motherfucker the satisfaction. Mama raise your bitch. <laughs> just imagine her face just every blow. Clench. So on November 6th, John Bell decided to tell about a half dozen of his friends. John was the first of the group to ask why. Why had he kept the secret for so long? John responded that he didn't, he didn't even know why. Why he waited so long to ask for help. At first, he had hoped it was just like a malicious mischief that was stopped after the trial was over. Then he had blamed the noises on the earth, as the ground underneath the bell house was full of cave chambers. He also said that he'd been a burden on the community for some time now. With Cat's trial and then his banishment, plus he didn't want anyone thinking he was making all this up to rack some sympathy points so things could go for his favor. But most likely, the reason why he kept so quiet for so long was because he was already characterized by the court and the church as less than a Christian man. So if the Red River community found out that a wicked spirit lived within his walls, they might think that he had just gone completely to the other side and used unholy rituals to call up the demon himself. Damn. So enlisted in his aid was practically the whole community. He was like, look, I'm going to talk to people, see who's willing to help me. I'm going to ask everyone who I can, and let's see who's willing to help me out. And he names them, just in case his daughter would need to consult people who were really there in the trenches, so to speak. So directly after the Johnsons were informed, so was. So y'all, y'all remember MySpace, right? Yeah. This was his top what? 40. His top 40. <laughs> top 40. The main mains. So these are the so these are the families that decided yes we would help you yeah, and that was our narrator himself, the John Johnstons, the Carneys, Norfleets, the Northingtons, Frank Miles and his brothers, Elder Reuben Ross, the Shugs or the Suggs, Suggs the Suggs, and the Rev Sug for along with the rest of the Sug clan. Then the world traveled the word traveled uh, to outside the Red River County. 
coming to the Bell's aides, and that also included Rev Thomas and James Gunn. The Gooches? The Gooches? The Gooches. The Gooches, bro. The Gardeners, the Dardens, and the Barlets. The Pitmans, the Longs, the Ruffins, the Matthews, the Airsies, the Morses, the Herrings, the Wimberleys, the Chesters, the Bournes, the McGowans, the Gorhams, the Waterseas, and the Roysters. Man. They got everyone. Well, because it's he, a whole army. Just, he, he was thinking, like, hopefully a few dozen of my two, friends. Two, three. Fa- yeah, 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 what, what help like, me out. Everyone take a kid and hold their covers. <laughs> you're, you're not that far off. No way. Ooh, can't wait. So with many families, practically every family offering their help to the Bells, they also offered their, opin- their opinions and their theories. And amongst <clears throat> the most probable was Reverend Suck Forts. For when he heard the descriptions of the disturbances, he became convinced of the bat's theory. And the bat's theory goes like this. That is he thought that Kate Bats had sent one or more of her Negro servants over to the Bell's house nightly to give them a scare and keep them from sleep. So far when the trial would begin, John would look so haggard and distressed that the judge would instantly... Believe him to be suffering under the weight of his guilt. The method of torture was through the roof that holes had been found during the period that noises were heard. Then wires with fish hooks were let down onto the covers so they could be whisked from the beds. The stinging attacks upon Betsy's face were dry peas that shot down through the hole. Then he reminded them that all of the attacks happened in the upper bedrooms. So as soon as a candle was ignited, the Negroes would desist, crawl along the roof to another room, and begin playing tricks there. Finally, he put forth the theory that the family have never been able to spot the noisemakers outside the house because they were darkies in the dark and that the small light from the candles were not enough to discover them. That's so fucking racist. So... So that was his theory. That was that's the th- that's the theory he threw out, and everyone's like, "Okay, that makes sense." The reason why you're able, the reason why you're able to fucking hear these noises, because there's holes on the roof. So, Kate's slaves were on the roof, just whispering, talking shit, and then the reason hey, why, sheets. and the reason why the why you why the sheets were whisked off is because they put down a line of fish hook, and then they just rip it off of you. Yeah, and then he's like, "Well, the reason why her face was being slapped." Was because in those holes that they made through the walls, they were shooting dried peas. That's why you hear the slapping sounds. Yeah. That's so everyone's like, oh fuck yeah, that makes sense. That makes oh, total yeah, yeah, yeah. sense. Hey, I want to test that theory. Come on, Josh. Throw some dry peas on your face. Do we hear that <laughs> clapping sound? I'm gonna do a six hit serial <laughs> combo. <laughs> so with everyone agreeing that this was the most likely theory that was believable, they all went back to the house to try and prove it. They got a ladder and examined the roof. But they found out holes. Nor could they see any openings to the bedroom ceilings. Samuel Northington then asked if any fishing hooks or dried peas had ever been found in the bedrooms. Everyone kind of looking at each other. They were like, uh, and they all just rushed to the rooms. But after two hours of searching, not a single pea nor fish hook was found. Killing the reverence theory. Good. Take that stupid... Mr. Northington 
feeling himself a little too much because he's like, have you guys even, have you guys even found anything? And they didn't. So he was just like, maybe all the noises from the tremblings to this location of objects. What if they were all just earthquakes? Because remember, you guys do live on top of a bunch of cave systems. And so then the that's, back- the re- that's the reason why everything is happening. Because of fucking earthquakes. Someone in the background was like, hey, Rev, shut up. Yeah, earthquakes, see? Slap you sometimes, you know? But Richard, that's what, that was one of Richard's rebuttals. He was he was the one who reminded Mr. Northing, Mr. Northington that no earthquake could have dragged Elizabeth out of the room by her hair. That no earthquake could smack Elizabeth around, <laughs> turning her face a crimson red. Richard also said that if this hypothesis was true, then how come no one at the schoolhouse or any of the houses nearby, which which were not even a quarter mile away, even felt the slightest motion of the earth? Probably. Hey, Rev. Do you know what an earthquake is? Earthquake? How the fuck? How is an earthquake going to drag back? How come I didn't feel it? And, and and like the dude, like the way they were describing it, after he was throwing these points, it was like that Homer Simpson meme where he's going to the bushes. Mm. After every time you throw a point, he'd go behind someone. He's trying somebody to hide. Else, he's trying somebody to hide. else. Mm-hmm. But, uh... So soon after, several of the group decided to take turns sleeping with the Bell children, like Achi said. Hell yeah. And Wait, and- hold on. Sleeping with the Bell children? Yeah. Like, a family, like, today it's going to be the Villanova family. So the mom's going to sleep with one of the kids. The dad's going to sleep with the other kids. Oh, okay, okay. The, okay. the two parents. So every, every all Everyone the kids took are, turns a night. Yeah. For sure. So, and every single one of them heard the faint noises of chains dragging, dogs barking, and the faintest breeze that should not have been there. Which was enough to worry those which was enough to worry those of them that had never experienced anything that they had been told, but it was just too little for them to believe everyone's fantastic claims. So they heard shit to be like, okay, something's going on. But they didn't hear enough for them to be like, okay, yeah, there's a ghost in here. That's literally, yeah. It was here, during this point in the story, where some old-fashioned child bride pedophilia started taking place. So to give you guys just the cliff notes, it was the second night of Richard's stay. And this time he was alone with John's wife. And they got to talking about her daughter and how he started to get feelings for 13-year-old Betsy. The mother said there was nothing wrong with it because Betsy had a mature body for her age. And that even she herself, she married her husband when she was 12 years old. She offered her blessings and said that if he decided to pursue their daughter romantically, that he had both her and Mr. John Bell's support. It's nothing like good old spooky time. Start getting some feelings for a fucking child. child. It was just then when they heard Betsy scream from upstairs. Together they rushed up to her. Together they rushed up to her in her aid. And it was here. What he was about to see that made him a believer. And all his doubts were forever gone. The door to Betsy's room was jammed. So it took a few hits to open. But Richard managed to get the door open. And he noticed that the bed was stripped of all the sheets and pillows. And Betsy was in the middle of the bed. For whatever reason, he kept the whole pedophilia thing going on. 
describing her nightdress and stuff and how he felt guilty seeing her this way, but he kind of liked it because she had a mature body for her age. It was just really weird. So we're, so we're skipping all of that. I'm just giving you guys a warning if you guys are going to go and get this book. So when he saw her, she was in the middle of the bed. She had both of her arms raised to her as she was trying to cover her face from an attack. So she was on her knees with both hands covering her face. But she was in the bed. She was in the bed. She was in the middle of the bed. When suddenly her right arm flung so hard that her whole head that her whole head turned to the right. Then sounds of her face being hit were starting to be heard. <laughs> All they had was a candle. But even that was enough light to see her face turning red from the spirit's attack. He was supposed to sound the combos again, bro. Dude, he was lifting. Imagine, like, he was grabbing her arm and just, what, what, just smacking the shit out of her. But then her, Lucy, her mom, rushed past Richard and pushed Betsy against the headboard and positioned herself as a human shield mm. so that the spirit had to move her before even getting a chance to continue attacking Betsy. And again, Richard continued his whole gross pedophile thing. He said he didn't know if he was shocked to the other fact that she was getting slapped or that she looked so beautiful in her nightdress. Like, bro, she's getting her ass beat by the spirit. And you're just trying to check her out. The room then became suddenly still. And by this time, John, John Jr., and Drury, the other children, were beside Richard. But nobody made a sound. When from out of the silence, the disgusting noise of someone hawking a huge luggie came from out of nowhere. And then Richard's candle went out. And <laughs> one by one, everyone's candle was put out after hearing the sounds of spitting. So this fucking spirit was hawking loogies and putting out candles. Look, man, that, that spirit is OP, bro. It's OP. It's OP. And suddenly, they were all in the dark. The creature gave out a burst of a wild laughter. And then it was gone. So the next couple of nights... As different people were spending the night to try and assist the Bell family, each party was met with an entirely different show from the demon, but the only common occurrence from each one was that Betsy was never spared. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> Bitch, you ain't going nowhere. Everyone got a different show, but at the end, it always saying Betty was, fucked up. With Casper Betty. beating her ass. She's like, ah, shit, here we go again. Fucking smackdown every night. Getting literally so getting getting pretty bad and fearing for Betsy's life. They thought it would be a good idea to have her move to a different house. Finally. One of her seven families later. One of <laughs> one of close friends. So for the next three weeks, she slept in the beds of four different families. And each time the spirit followed Damn. her. And continued its physical attacks on poor Betsy. What does he have against this fucking chick? The the fucked up part was that even when Betsy wasn't in her home, those who were still there felt the demon's wrath. It was still taking the sheets off of them, (sighs) making all these noises. Because remember, if you remember from earlier in the episode, we found out that the demon could attack two different people in different places at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Shortly after, Richard and a few farmers headed to Nashville to handle some personal business. After all, they still had lives and their own personal things that they needed to take care of. A few of the farmers were traveling to pick up furniture and some supplies before the December snow hit hard, and Richard went to try and see if he could get any more books to try and grow his little shitty library. So during the trip, a few of the farmers that went were privy to what was going on. They didn't specifically help the bells, but they heard about what was going on. And they were all given their reasons as to what was going on there. They said things like, the family was making it all up or that Betsy was a liar because one of the men, he once saw a man throw his voice into another room. You know how people could move their voices? Yeah. He's like, that's what's going on. She's just a brat. She just wants to make this commotion, wants to make everything dramatic. But it was here that one of the men, Richard Carney, interrupted the group talking. I say we're looking in the wrong direction. There's one person amongst us in Red River who has openly cursed the bells. Old Kate Bats. You heard her words yourself last spring. You may have your broad acres as well as mine purchased at a penny tents. You may have your big house, but just wait and see what sad changes should soon descend upon you and more than you. Then he said, this business began before she got her judgment against John. I say... She conjured up a spell against him and his family, and it got beyond her powers. She may be satisfied to the hell it has raised already, but I think she's powerless to send it back to where it came from. Stupid old woman. What we have amongst us, and I mean all of us, since this is the concern of every Christian family in Red River, it's a witch. Kate bats which until we acknowledge it to be what it is we'll have no chance of getting rid of it so by the time they got back to red river from the trip to nashville they noticed that practically everyone in the community they were already turning a cold shoulder to kate the wives suddenly had no time to listen to her cheese may her tea or her gossip there was never any extra wool nor flax to be found for her there were no more spare pins to share. And even the storekeepers began asking her to make immediate payments on the credit they had extended her. But Kate Batts, she wasn't stupid. She knew exactly what was going on. And she understood almost immediately the reason why everyone around Red River were acting the way they, the way they were with her. But Kate being Kate, she went on the attack. Because from her point of view, the Bells had invented this whole dramatical deal after she started talking shit. This was solely to isolate Kate from the rest of the community. And so the spirit became known as Kate Bat's Witch, Old Kate, or sometimes just the Bell's Witch. So the friends of the Bells continued to spend the night at their house offering their support. And towards the end of 1818, the goal was now to question the witch in order to figure out what the fuck it wanted. At first, this was done by asking questions that could be answered by knocks on the wall or furnitures, like knock twice if your ass fat. 
And then you just hear that. Mm. It was responding to them. And it always answered. And it always answered correctly when asked questions regarding obvious things in the room. Like how many people are in the room? And then, for example, there's three of us. They would ask, and then you just hear the three taps. Tap, tap, tap. But not every time did the witch answer in knocks. She would sometimes answer with the smacking of lips. And eventually, with the sounds of claws being raked along wood. And it was when they heard the claws when they started getting nervous about this witch's unseen shape. They're like, yo, this shit has claws, bro. The claws. I'm out. And it was here that every time they insulted the witch with its questions, they reacted with swift and stinging blows to the faces. Say another word, bitch. Bah. So, so they said something. So it wasn't just. Well, this thing was a, obviously just attacking Kate. I mean, it was attacking Betsy. Yeah. But when they were asking questions, they said something stupid. Dumbass questions. Yeah. She just slapped the shit out of them. <laughs> Call me stupid one more time. Hey, stupid. bro. I'll be like, look, look, guys. Kill me now. I'm going to go to the afterlife. I'm going to fuck this bitch up. I'll take him for the team. But she's not in the afterlife. She's there. Well, hopefully, I don't go to the afterlife. I stay here, right? The spirit world. And y'all might, I mean, I might lose. I might lose because I'm, I'm a newbie-ass spirit, you know? Watch. You go in there, it's not one spirit. Have y'all saw Ten. the movie Ghost? Just ghost. Patrick Swayze? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. So, in that movie, they say only powerful ghosts can can move stuff. And even then, it's like it's barely like moving a fucking quarter yeah right this 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 motherfucker this ghost this spirit it's slapping motherfuckers flipping tables taking sheets it's the debo of the goddamn afterlife dude give me your sheet motherfucker it's on the first you gotta gotta go through the entire what is it called fucking pokemon what are they called the the elite four you gotta go through the the whole thing get all the badges get go fuck up the elite four and then you might be able to move it. Nah, this ghost was like, it's starting a new game, but with like level 100 Pokemon. What, so had Game Shark? Mm-hmm. <laughs> broke that shit. So in the first three months, after initially learning of the Bell Haunting, Richard had only visited four times. And it was during the fourth time that Richard flipped the script on the witch. <gasps> he started asking questions in Latin and what little he knew of Greek. And after each question, the witch's noises stopped, and for a long time. And then, when it did respond, it responded with incorrect knocks and scratches. Damn! Like, fuck! I don't understand Latin. God, fuck! And believe it, it felt insulted and stupid. And believe it or not, this actually made the group feel good. It actually relieved the group because, in the back of their mind. They probably thought the spirit being of ancient origin, like one of the fallen angels, which probably meant this was truly a satanic being. But having this witch now understand, not understand these ancient languages, it made it easier for them to wrap their heads around defeating a local and less ancient foe. Mm -hmm. It made it less evil in their eyes. But it was because of Richard's savage dragging of the witch's intelligence that the group blamed Richard 
But what happened next? The witch started speaking. Look at bitch. Suck my dick. At first. <laughs> first words, huh? That was that was the first word. At first, it started with just whispers. Suck my dick. <laughs> Soft enough that they argued as to whether there were even any legible words or not. <laughs> then one evening during the last days of January, Mr. Johnston heard the witch. And it was the most terrible thing he'd ever known in his entire life. Richard wasn't present. But he was told that the witch started reciting the passages James Johnston had said a few months earlier from the Bible. You know the parts that you guys both repeated yeah, a few yeah. times? So the witch that. started saying, reciting this fucking holy passages to them. And immediately right after the witch had finished reciting the passages of demonic, demonic possession, it went through the Lord's prayers and ended it with, Demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, be silent and go out of this house forever. The ghost said this, mocking them. The spirit was talking back to them. And then it switched to a feminine voice and finally ended with this last sentence. Well said, old sugar mouth. This fucking thing in one evening showed everyone that not only was it indeed intelligent, but it had a sick sense of humor. I was not afraid to fucking flame them. And it was also constantly listening. As the nickname Old Sugar Mouth was what was James Johnston's pet nickname his wife gave him. And this is how the witch addressed him going forward. Damn. So the witch the whole yeah. time's been listening. I know. I know everything. Then one night, John Jr. addressed the witch for the first time. Bitch, who are you and what do you want? What do you want? The room went suddenly still and everyone was quiet in anticipation. What do you want? It's not that easy. What do you want? When suddenly, from out of the walls, they heard the screeching whispers. I am the spirit of someone who was once happy and who has been disturbed. I think that was perfect. That, that was, was good. That was end. good. It's top notch. That was good. That was good. You were a living person? Yes. And this is where we'll end part one of our Bell Witch series. Talk about cliffhanger. Oh my gosh. Man. Suck my dick. <laughs> from be I told you from beginning to end, it was it hooks you. And this was the beginning of the fucking manuscript. It's just this right off the bat. This is the first, uh, you said first. Uh, this is the first 55 pages. 55 pages. This is a good ass story. And this motherfucker already talking, huh? This is a good ass story. I like this. Uh, That's The Bell Witch, An American Haunting, part one. One. Part 
one. And that's where and that's where we're gonna end it. Join us next week to find out what the fuck is going on. And one of my favorite characters of the story pops out. Hmm. And it's Patrick one, Swayze. No, <laughs> no. Ghost but bitch. it's one of the one of the children's friends. Oh kid. shit! It's like one of the children's friends. He shows up. This dude is hilarious. Mm. Dumb Comes hilarious. Out. Dumb hilarious. Comes out saying, "Suck I'm, my dick." I'm gonna get duct tape tonight. Duck tape. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna tape up my sheets. I was gonna nail my sheets. You're not gonna try to. You're not gonna try to fight it at the little kids. Hell nah. I did I'm, arms yesterday. I'm fucking tired, bro. I'm gonna wake up swinging, bro. You're wake up swinging. I'm oh. wake up swinging. Also, demon's gonna wake up slapping. Also, before I forget, before I forget, I want to say congratulations to Renee. You guys may know him from our roundtable episodes. He just got married on Friday. Hey. Ah, that son of a gun took hey. an arrow to the knee. And we, nice, and you know, nice. I was one of his groomsmen, and it was a cool wedding. It's it was cool. cool. Thank you for having us. So I want to just give him, uh, you know, congratulations, Renee. Congratulations. Congratulations, yeah, you son of a gun. So by the time you're hearing this, which is going to be during the week, he's he's going on a cruise, that lucky fuck. Oh, he's going on a cruise. To Mexico. So Ooh. hopefully you're drunk off your ass listening to this. All right. He does a drink though. You're that vomiting off off the freaking deck. Yeah, he he, he he does get motion sickness. So so if you congr- didn't take the pill, you're fucked. I told I'm telling him, dude, you should go. Don't even go to the Seven Eleven or no. Go to a doctor, have them prescribe you those strong ones because the ones from Seven yeah. Eleven those don't really work on people. Yeah, yeah. There's a freaking whatever a band like a wristband that you put that apparently also works for that shit. A wristband. Yeah, band? it's literally just a wristband with like a little like plastic dot that pushes up against your uh, your tendons or whatever. And apparently that doesn't make you seasick or motion sickness. All right. Well, hopefully Renee got that. So thank you guys so much. Hopefully you enjoyed this part one, as this is one of this is you know in part this is for our the, the spooky season. That's a good ass spooky story, bro. I like this. I did and, this one. And we also have a little more. We have a few more surprises for you for this month. So hopefully you guys enjoy the show. If you guys want, as always, you guys can look at us, look us up on Instagram, Weird History, Even Tells Pod, where we post pictures. If you guys could do us a huge favor, rate and review us on iTunes. Oh, we love seeing these reviews. We, we've, well, nine out of the ten reviews are cool that we've gotten. The ones that are negative, some lady gave us a one star because Why? we mispronounced. A word that I still can't pronounce. What is it? It's, I think it's called. Uh, she's she's gonna hear this. And she's gonna give us another bad rating. He did it again. It's Dublin. It's basically just an old Dublin. Dublin. I don't know. Wait, D- the, the U- guy? Dublin, like the fucking not the city. The it's, it's for our pirates episode. This is what they used to call old coins. Oh, she's like, I'm not gonna listen to you guys because you guys pronounce this word one star. Like what the fuck? And we were and Who the, mispronounced it. Me, Achi. So it's Achi's fault. Now I'm just playing. I don't know. I haven't listened to that since I edited it. I just wanted to point it out to you. I was like, <laughs> yeah, they are talking shit about me. So that brought us down to a f- that brought a rating from four and a half to four. And then someone's like, oh, you guys are, you guys are cool. You guys are dope. But that, and that didn't raise us up. Like, what the fuck is going on? But if you guys want to do us a favor, you guys enjoy the show. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Talk shit to this person. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but just if you guys no, have no, no, no. criticisms, if you guys have anything, like, let us know. Feel free. Feel free. Um, Go nuts. We're a lot more active on Instagram. We've gotten a few. Fo- we got a lot of your followers. Yeah, ridiculous. More. We have people commenting on our fucking pictures, calling us liars and bullshitters, and then we should try harder. Trying. I guess they think we're the ones taking these pictures of the train travelers or something. <laughs> I don't know what's going oh, on. Oh shit! 
Like, like hey, yeah. your Photoshop skills be whack, son. Someone did say, like, oh, this looks Photoshop. Try better. I didn't do it. I just fucking posted it. <laughs> uh, I'll be sure to mention it to the original person. Hey, dude, they, they say you Photoshop this shit. Yeah, we'll track it. We'll track it. IP address. We'll go down <laughs> straight to the source. And then. Uh, Let them know. Let me tell them, hey, man. Up. Fix your shit. <laughs> Thanks to your shitty quality of a picture, our motherfucking podcast. Hey, we got a one star because of you. So thank you guys so much. And you guys and I will put the book for the series of source on the show notes. It's called The Bell Witch and American Haunting. This book, Fangoria, you know the fame the infamous Fangoria magazine. Yeah. It its fucking review of it was too compelling to put down. And it's true. I believe it. From start to finish. I'm convinced. It's fucking amazing. It's a really amazing read. But don't read ahead. Buy the book after we finish the series. Don't spoil it for yourselves. Well, But if you guys don't have anything to add, remember, add us on Instagram, Weird History, Tells Pod. Rate and review us. If you guys have any things you guys want us to talk about, DM us. People have been DMing us for things for us to talk about. Yeah. Give it to us. We want to know. We want to know. That's less work for us to do. So if you guys don't have anything else to add, hold on to your sheets because, yeah. guys, it's going to be a chilly <laughs> night. We are the weird history. Here we tell Spot.